So I won't make you raise your hands for this because I feel like this is one of those things that folks don't like to admit. But I will today that I, at times, can be somebody who really takes a lot of joy in finding out the spoilers for movies and then be able to watch them. So like I said, if you're, if you're part of that group, I'm going to save you from the embarrassment and the shame of being that person who looks at the spoilers. Now, there might be a few reasons that any of us do that. One might be, in the case of the show Game of Thrones that I watched, that it is so bad at the end, the last season is so terrible that I'd rather just skip ahead to the very end and avoid having to deal with all of the garbage in in the interim. Or, like the movie Endgame, yes, I was one of those people who looked up what was going to happen in the final Avengers movie. Shame on me. It might also be, though, that I wanted to know so much about a particular phenomenon that it helped me understand what I was getting into before I actually watched it. And with some other things, it might just mean that I want to skip the show altogether. Or, and this might be for any of you out there who have ever played video games that have this really long narrative arc, At some point, to get to the end, the right ending, the ending you want, you might have to do a lot of extra work. So at some point, it's just as easy for me to go on YouTube, watch the video of the ending anyway, and I can skip all the hard work and get what I wanted anyway. But either way, at the end of all of this, what I get is my proof, right? I get to know the end of the story. And provided that everyone's been honest, because there are folks, shame on them, who like to lie about the endings of particular movies just to get at those of us who enjoy being able to have the spoilers, enjoy being able to see what's coming up ahead. Provided that they have not done their job, I know what's going to happen at the end. And it might mean, and this is usually the case, what happens is, is my mind ends up working on some different details. I see things in the movie or I see things in the show a little bit differently than if I was trying to run into the end of the movie and not know what it was ahead of time. I notice different details. I pay attention to the narrative maybe a little differently. I engage with characters slightly differently because it's okay. I know what's going to happen at the end. Speaking of Game of Thrones... These first three chapters of Esther, honestly, are this complex weave of plot lines, intrigue, all sorts of things with royals and those who are in the, in the palace. You saw on the picture, the, uh, you saw on the map, the Persian Empire is huge. This is not some small place. And Susa is the same thing as Shushan uh, in the text that we heard today. Right in the center is the capital, and that's where our story occurs. And as we hear these initial plot lines, we're not entirely convinced who is going to be the winner. We're first introduced to Ahasuerus, who is, at least at this point, a bumbling king who seems more interested in drinking and sex and his ego over good rule. He literally deposes his wife Vashti 
and sets an entire decree about women in the whole kingdom because she refused to dance. Right. Ridiculous. Could you imagine that happening like in 1820? Let alone 2020? And then, of course, we get Haman. Haman, this arrogant... Now, you know, in Purim, one of the fun parts is every time that Haman's name is mentioned, and we can do this. I think the kids would be great. They scream and they yell and they boo in order to drown out his very name. He's an arrogant jerk. There's no two ways about it. In fact, later in the book, he spends some time with his family lounging together. And what they do is they just sit around and, and Haman's like, well, why don't you tell me about all of my accomplishments? Why don't, you, why don't we sit down together and you tell me about all the money I have? Like that's literally in this book. There are very few people that I would want to punch square in the face and Haman might actually qualify. He, in fact, is willing to destroy an entire group of people because of one man making one choice. Things are not looking so good for our dear Jewish people. Not to mention Vashti. Vashti hardly makes an appearance. I mean, really, in this text, Vashti doesn't even make an appearance. Some midrash argue that maybe she wasn't feeling well, maybe she had been overcome by boils on her body, and so as a result, she wasn't comfortable dancing. But either way, she said no. And because she said no, our bruised king's ego was enough to send her away. Then, of course, we got to meet Mordecai, who's kind of over there. He would have been a man of means, that he was exiled into the capital would have meant that he was part of an elite group. The Babylonians in their exile didn't bring everybody to live in the city. They brought the good ones, quote unquote, the ones of means, the kings and queens. So Mordecai had some kind of wealth, had some sort of stature, enough that he ended up somehow being in the king's court and in spite of being in a foreign land, in, sti- in spite of being in a foreign land with foreign people, the enemies of the enemies that took them, he serves the king. And then finally, we have Esther, who we'll meet more in a few weeks, over the next few weeks, who happens to be adopted and is there. We leave this week with a terrible, terrible decree. In the New Revised Standard Version, Esther 3, 13 through 15 says this, letters were sent by couriers to all of the king's promises, giving orders to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate. So not just one time, but double check it two times. Make sure that they're gone. All Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. So not only defeat them, but then steal all their stuff. 
A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation. So somebody was going to stand up in a group and read this aloud, calling on everybody to be ready for that day. The couriers went quickly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, obviously celebrating, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. In spite of the goodness of Mordecai, who had found out a plot to kill the king and had exposed those people, in spite of the fact that we find out that Esther is going to become queen, things still look terribly bleak for our heroes. Now, we get the benefit of having read the ending. And if you haven't read chapters 9 and 10, or really 7 through 10, we'll get to it. But if you've read it, you know what the ending is. You know that throughout this, Mordecai and Esther will be victorious. But at the time, they didn't know what was about to happen. They didn't know the ending of their stories, but they knew the ending of the stories that they have been told over and over and over again in their lives, which was that they knew of God's faithfulness. In spite of the fact that throughout this story, God is not mentioned once. God is faithful to God's people. They knew, Mordecai and Esther, that God cared for God's people, knew that in the midst of these terrible circumstances, God would deliver. And we'll learn more about how that starts to unfold next week. But for now, we can settle on the fact that the stories of who they were as people carried them through even in this bleak time. It's kind of like knowing the spoiler. And here's the thing. This is a story that tells itself over and over and over again throughout Scripture. Every time that I pray after the prayers of the people, do you hear I tell the story of God's faithfulness every week? I try to remind myself and each of you that God has been faithful since the garden. Since the people were in exile in Egypt, God was faithful. God was faithful in the wilderness, was faithful when the people wanted kings and judges and prophets. And God has been faithful through Jesus Christ. That is the part of the story that when we move to our story, we get a little bit more clarity. We have heard the stories told to us about life overcoming death. As Karl Barth puts it, we get to hear stories about the judge judged in our stead, that we could be forgiven and we could live a life that is free. 
And we will always be free. The story is decided. The end has come. Y'all know the spoiler. You've been listening to it all of your lives as long as you've been in church. So don't look bad on the folks that get the movie spoilers because y'all been doing it all the time anyway. The problem for us is that we don't have the benefit of the book or the movie to tell us about point now to the end of the story. We don't know what bumbling king will in fits of bruised ego lash out upon us. We don't know what arrogance from somebody else will cause our destruction. We don't know if refusing to do something to have integrity will cause something we do, and to have something that we do that we don't want to do will cause our exile. We don't know if even our service to the powers of this world will help us, and we don't know if our plans will be successful in saving what matters to us. We don't know. And because of that lack of knowledge, we can assume that God's faithfulness does not apply to us. I worry sometimes that when we pray for healing for others, which is good and needed and necessary, it sometimes does not happen. And it is totally okay to be angry with God. And it is just fine to wonder why God didn't do the thing that you prayed so fervently for. But the problem is, is we too easily miss all the times that God has been faithful to us from every point before we made that prayer and every point that God will be faithful after that prayer has been uttered. So for whatever reason, in spite of the fact that we've known the spoiler all of our lives, we live in angst, we live in fear, we live in anger, forgetting that between today and the end of this story, there is a plot yet to be unfolded. You, friends, have a story in your life that has yet to unfold, but the end is clear. You are saved and beloved by a Savior who came into this world, died, and was resurrected. That is the end of your story, no matter what happens in the interim. Just like for Esther and Mordecai, as the world was coming upon them, they still believed that God would be faithful. And we see in this story that God was. So friends, as we start this book, this complicated book, live in perseverance. Keep in mind that the events that we just spent like five, seven minutes talking about occur over the course of four years. Esther was sitting in the court for years before she was selected queen. The whole entire book of Esther happens over 10 years, and yet they were still faithful over those 10 years. 10 years is a long time. Enough time for people to be bored. Could you imagine having passed within that 10 years between the decree and the victory of Mordecai, you would be convinced that your people would be gone. But it was not going to be the case. 
God is still faithful to God's people. We don't know yet the story of God's faithfulness tomorrow, next week, next year, 10, 15, 20 years from now. We only know that God is faithful. We don't know when the story might change, when there will be a twist in the narrative, the aha moment. And the fuel that can keep us from defeat in our lowest moments and walking away and from apathy in our best moments because God clearly has shown God's favor on me. I've prayed hard enough. I have loved hard enough. And so I got everything I need. So why would I worry about anything else? To save us from that kind of apathy, we must remember that God is faithful and Jesus Christ is who he said he is. This cross is not just window dressing. The tomb is not just a nice story. They are the things that tell us who we are. And by knowing the end, friends, it may mean we look at what's happening in this world a little differently. We may be willing to take risks and leaps of faith because in the end, who we are and our story is secure. And next week, we will find out how Esther and Mordecai discovered who they were and how they were called to a particular moment in a particular time. But that only could happen because they knew the end of the story and they believed in the spoiler. So, so friends, you know the end of this movie. You know the end of this story. Let us do everything we can to live as though we believe that story is going to happen. Thanks be to God.